So continuing on in verse 18, nothing good is in my fallen, corrupt nature is what he's saying. And even though I'm willing and I want to do good, I can't totally do it. I can't be perfect. And showing that the will can desire good or evil under the old covenant and over the new. And that's why Christians attempt it. They still have the corrupt nature, but it doesn't have the power over them unless they give it to him. And I remember one time I had a dream years ago, and I was walking by this pile of dirt. And all of a sudden, a hand came out and grabbed me by the leg, scared me, was trying to drag me. And I woke up and thought, what is going on here? And the spirit said, that's the old man. You're to keep him buried. And if you don't, he'll get a hold of you. Well, I found that was so true, wasn't it? So in 19, verse 19, for the good that I want, I do not. But I practice the very evil that I do not want. So he's telling you what it was like without Christ. But he shows you he has the law of conscience bothering him. And he has the law of Moses telling him what he's to do. And, and he says, and I do it, and I try to do it. He said, but where I fail and where I can't be perfect, the blood covers this. And every year on the Day of Atonement, they had to make that offering and sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat before it. And it covered all the sin for the past. And they had to do it every year because the sin was not cleansed from them. It was covered. And so they still had to deal with the old nature. But one day he's going to do something that the law had no power to do. We keep saying the law had power to reveal the truth, but it could not forgive. It didn't have that power, and it could not give you the power to stop sinning and yielding to it. So it was teaching you why you're going to need someone else other than me. I'm going to be abolished, the principles, the Moses, the rituals, because I'm not going to be needed in the future. And the Lord's showing you through Abraham, he revealed to the Jews, if they were listening, that that was a temporary covenant, the law, that it was going to be done away with because it was imperfect. Okay, we see that in Hebrews too, when we get into that. And so we see, I want to do good. I recognize the law as good. And my will can go both ways. I said, but I, I can't live perfectly. And I try, but it's just no. So I'll do sacrifice and I'll pay the penalty. So if they stole or something, they had to pay four times back. And there were certain things they had to make restitution. People, Christians, some of us, they don't, all you do is get it forgiven. No, if you're a Christian and you steal from somebody, somewhere along the line, you're going to make restitution or the Lord's going to chasten you. And the Spirit can deal with you differently. I remember someone coming to me, and I stole a long time ago, and I just don't want to go back now, and it might stir and make the person not like I said, well, what you do is you ask the Lord what to do about it. So he gave a lot more money than he stole. He donated as an offering to the church. I said, well, that's suitable. I said, you consider, is it going to do the person any good to tell them? Maybe they don't need to know it. Maybe they don't want to know it. It's been years. But you start doing good and you don't do it anymore. And so that's what he did. And his conscience didn't bother him. See, the spirit can make arrangements while he wants to. So we don't have to confess every sin every day to everybody. That's all we would do many times. We don't have time to do anything else. And many things, James says, we offend all. 
So we do a lot of ignorant things that technically God would say that's not good. It's if that's not good, it's sin. But he's sanctifying us. He looks over that and says, I'll deal with it. I'll cover that down and cleanse him as he walks in the spirit. I will hold it again. But when you have willful knowledge, that's another story. He won't cover that too well. You either repent of it or you get punished. And if you don't repent, eventually you'll be cut off. See, the greasy graces don't want to tell you that side. Uh-huh. The license of sin is too great for them. They think they got the best gospel going. I've got grace to see me into heaven. If I don't do anything, it's all grace, and I can live like hell here. And that's what they really believe, but they won't acknowledge that. Okay. And they have no fear of the Lord, but they will at the day of judgment. Okay. Verse 20. But I am doing the very thing I do not want. I am no longer the one doing it. So now he's showing you the sin principle, but sin dwells in me. Now, he's not excusing it, saying I'm not doing it, but he's trying to separate to show you why and what's happening. He's not saying I'm self-righteous and I don't sin. It's sin that does it, not me. Well, that's what the greasy gracer and the once saved, always saved person says. That's what the Nicolaitan said. Your spirit's been purified and cannot sin. So it doesn't matter if you sin or if your soul and body. That's very prevalent. That doctrine hasn't gone away. It's just been revised by the devil. Once saved, always saved. By grace and faith alone. And then I can live like I want to. Yeah. Well, you go find out a little differently one day. Okay, 21. I find then the principle that evil is present in me and the one who wants to do good. I want to do good. Shoot, he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was telling but he still recognized this principle was working and subduing him at times and bothering him and tormenting him. And he didn't know how to handle that. And the law couldn't help him there. And so he made sacrifice. He said when he did acknowledge, he did what the law required. So he was righteous under the law, but he had the sin principle and evil still working in him. Okay? 21. So evil and its principle, it's a principle of sin. It is present even when a person wants to do good. So that's the people under the old covenant. That's the a righteous Gentile. That's people who are morally upright and try to keep a clear conscience, that speaks to them. They're not sinners all day long out there stealing and committing adultery, but of course we have lots of them too. They're not in the classification. And God forgave them and he took care of them. Remember the man, the rich man, and the man who lied at his door and the dogs licked his wounds and he was sickly and dying and evidently he was righteous. So we don't know if he was being punished for his sins or being chastened or God was testing him. But it said he died and the angels took him to paradise. That was down where Abraham was. Angels. And it said and the rich man died and he opened his eyes in hell. Nobody took him anywhere. He found himself. And he was tormented in the flame, he said. And he was talking to Abraham. They were having this field between them like a barrier, and they couldn't cross it, but he communicated. And he said he was so thirsty, would just come and give me a drop of water, for I am tormented in this flame. And he told him, I can't come over to you, and you can't come over here. 
And then he said, now this is interesting, under the old, I don't know if it applies at the final, like a fire, but this man was concerned with his brothers. He had several brothers. He said, someone should go to him and tell him not to come to this place. And Abraham said, he is the law and prophets. And he said, oh no, but they won't listen. The rich man says, send someone alive like you or someone from the dead. And Abraham says, they'll not listen. He said, even though one come from the dead, a raised He was saying, if they're not obeying the law and they're wicked like you were, the gospel ain't going to do them any good. If you don't walk in the light you have, most likely you're not going to come to the gospel. See, that's a principle. Now, there's exceptions, and people see the light, and they do make drastic changes. But he's simply saying, if they don't obey the law, which they have, he said, they don't do no good if one's raised from the dead and comes to them. So God's showing you a principle. People say, well, the Lord appeared to me, I get saved, and the Lord's thinking, no, you aren't. You're like the children of Israel. You may be convinced of something, but you're still not going to live righteously. And that's why all the children of Israel wandered 40 years and did not go into the promised land. And they saw all the miracles that nobody's ever seen those things they saw, not nation. Individuals under Christ saw things, but not people or masses. And they didn't make it. Now, it was a symbol. Now, I don't know. If, I don't think they went to hell. I just think they were judged, and God was using them as an illustration. He said all things, even Moses and Aaron weren't allowed in, but they died righteously before the Lord. And because he failed on one few occasions, God said, you dishonored me before the people, and he wouldn't let him go in. But he said, you can see the land, but you'll not enter it. And again, it was a symbol that those under the law and all that could not go into the new covenant. But all those adults, 40 years wandered, and God had tested them enough, he got tired of it. And he had showed them all these signs and wonders that nobody's seen. So they may have been convinced temporarily, and they were. And then later on, Moses leads them for 40 days, and we don't know what happened to Moses, and we don't know about his God. So they throw wild parties and fornicate. God has 20-some thousand of them killed later. I mean, it couldn't even go 40 days. And poor Aaron, he's making excuses. He said, well, I did throw the gold in the fire, and out came a calf. The most laughable thing. Scripture says he fashioned a calf. He molded it, made it. But he was afraid of Moses, too. Moses said, what have you done? And years later, when he's talking to Aaron, he said, you know something, Aaron? He said, that day that you did that, God sought to kill you, but I prayed for you. So he was showing him what God thought about it. And if Moses hadn't prayed for him, he may have replaced him. But see, he was showing his principles of grace and mercy and what God would do on the certain occasions. So I imagine it straightened Aaron up real quickly. He said, oh, if my brother had to intercede it, God would have removed me. He said he sought to kill him, okay? He's speaking on human terms so they can understand. God condescends, and often he speaks in human language because we can't deal with some things at his level. So he condescends, and he condescended in the body of Jesus Christ. He came down in the human form. 
And when they said, show us the Father, the disciples said, show us the Father. See, they, they want to see what Moses saw, the great vision. Of, and he said to them, what do you ask me that? He said, he that seen me has seen the Father. He was telling them, this is the best you're going to understand about him. I've come down and communicating with mercy and grace. If you stood before God like Moses did, you may not live. You see? They started to understand it. He said, he that's seen me has seen the Father. How long have I been with you? That's the Father speaking in him, the Spirit. And you do not know me? Isn't that astounding? That's right. A few weeks where he's going to be crucified after three years of ministry. It's taken him a while to figure out things, wasn't it? Okay. And the Spirit, he said, when I'm gone, I'll come and enter you. And he says, he'll show you things that I can't now, that are hard to understand. After the resurrection, and never questioned that he was God in the flesh, that he was the Christ. He was the God-man. While he was on earth, they knew he was a prophet. They knew he was the son of God, but they didn't know what that all involved. But he said, when the Spirit comes, he's going to show you something. So it's better under the new covenant. It's actually better for the Christian under the gospel. Because the gospel's laying the foundation. But they couldn't live what the gospel required, because Christ was not in them. And people say, well, I just take Jesus' word. I said, then you're missing out, because he already told you that they're going to do better than me. He said, they'll do greater than me, because he's in them. Where when he was on the earth, he was just with them, bodily contained. But when he resurrected, it was glorified, he entered them as the Godhead. He is the Holy Spirit. Paul says the Spirit of Christ, says he is that Spirit. He is Jehovah the Father. They're one, and they may be different like we can't understand, but they're still one God, okay? Christ in us, the hope of glory. It's God in us that is redeeming us, okay? So we see that, that principle he's talking about. Okay, we want to just remind that a man is not totally depraved. I mean, he can't become that. A demon possessed and become very wicked. And we know of many that killed millions, and I'm sure they're in a great power of the devil. And they're probably past repentance. You know, there's certain sins and that God may not forgive. He said all will forgive him, but he doesn't mean the persistence and turn against him. And so we've had many generals and kings that are responsible for millions of death, I doubt whether they repented. I had one person tell me, well, if Hitler had repented the night before he killed himself, he'd be in heaven. I said, you're of a demonic sort. Upset him. He said, well, it's all grace. I said, you're of the demonic source. I said, you think you can jump off a building and say, forgive me, and, you, and before you hit the ground, you're going to bounce right up there. And you've been taught lies by false shepherds. Just because one man was saved on the cross, I said, that's only one time in the Bible. Don't you bank everything on that. You look at the other causes when God hardens people and people are backslidden. And you don't find any cases. And if God decides to deal with somebody in, he has a reason. He may know their past. He may know they didn't have as much light. But the one has had the truth. I don't think you're going to find a person getting saved at the last minute why he's lived his whole life in wickedness and knew better, and he's just afraid of dying. He's the man before the judge. He's remorseful because he's going to be punished. 
but he's not repentant. So a lot of people at the last try to get right. They're remorseful. If they were to live, and the doctor says, you got five more years to go out and live like they wanted to, because there's no change of heart. They're just afraid of judgment, which the wicked are going to be, ultimately, when God deals with them. So we see they're not totally depraved. Many people wanted to do good, Jew and Gentile. Okay, This would be Job, Abraham, Cornelius, Paul, they're great examples before Christ. They were before Christ. They were considered prophets and righteous men. We'll see. Even the prophets had sacrificed for them, and they superseded uh, the priesthood. When the priesthood got corrupt, they could do things that people in the priesthood could not do. And God used them to correct the priesthood when they became backslidden and weren't serving right. That was the purpose. But it didn't say they were completely righteous. No, it didn't say that. So God said to Job, remember, he told the devil, he's the most righteous man on earth. He loves uprightness and he hates iniquity. So that was what he wanted to do. He told him that. And the angel said to Cornelius, a Gentile, your righteous good deeds, your good works, helping the poor and the poor Jews and giving them money and stuff. He said, it's come up before God. He's noticed this. And now he's going to tell you what to do. What is he going to tell him? He's going to show him the gospel. He didn't say you're a dirty sinner and God don't find that term. That's a greasy grace lying gospel. They emphasize, as Paul said, to their own damnation. If we're under grace, we can keep sinning, we can do that. And he said their damnation is just. So he tells you what he thinks about them. He said it, it don't happen. But the sin deceives them. And ministers that teach that, I've rarely seen any of them repent because they get harder and harder in sin and they deceive more people gullible uh, that want to be deceived. And that's the consequences. They're hardened further and further and very few of them come to the Lord. All things are possible as long as they're alive and they've not blasphemed the Spirit. But I believe many of them have blasphemed the Holy Ghost and he's not going to mess with them, okay? So he was rewarded with the true gospel because he was following his conscience and obeying it. And he was not a proselyte. He did not become a Jew and enter the Jewish covenant. He was not a proselyte. But he did live righteously. And even the Jews commended him. They thought he was something. They knew him in the community. So they would call him a righteous Gentile. Now, some of the Pharisees said, well, that don't matter. He's without hope. When Paul says they were without hope, he didn't mean every Gentile was lost and going there. He meant they were without the hope of the law and the privileges that the Jews were given. That's what he meant. I have seen, oh, that means they're all destined to hell. Every man, woman, even the Catholic Church, if you're not a Catholic, the babies of the wicked go to hell with them. It's so demonic. No wonder they're going to a deep hell. Babies and retarded people, they have no concept of any law. And the scripture says where there is no law, sin is not imputed. And even though they're born into sin, they're not held accountable for that. Christ's blood will cover all of that. Like he's going to cover the pure conscience. And the person that follows his conscience and lives right, oh, he fails. And he does things wrong like these people were talking. But he covers them. 
But people talk that, they make the God into being a devil. That ultra-Calvinism makes God worse than Satan himself. There's no such teaching that anybody like that is damned. They're innocent, innocent according to conscience and law, because they're not capable of understanding anything. So God takes that. He curses the human nature, and the sins and death are transmitted, and that's why babies and children die, but they don't die spiritually. See, God made provision. So the gospel covers a lot of things that people don't understand. And if it didn't, then we should do what Paul said. Let's eat, drink, and be married. We're all going to hell anyway. But he didn't preach that, did he? Okay. Had a woman tell me that one time. Uh, I won't tell you her denomination. But you know, the children of a, that are of a Christian, they're unholy, so they have to go to hell. And I said, I said, you're a child of the devil. And I said, furthermore, you're a woman. You be careful what you're teaching. And in your case, you shouldn't be teaching at all. I thought, you stupid fool. I couldn't help it. James would have called her a stupid fool. Jesus called disciples fools. Paul said, you foolish Galatians. They, they rebuked them. That's what it means. You don't pacify them. I said, no. God makes provision. And he's just and holy, but he's loving and compassionate. He told Moses, I'm gracious and loving kindness and merciful. And then he ends it with, by no means clearing the guilty. He lets the sins and the influence go on through the human nature. And even the guy that Jesus healed, I think it was the one of blindness, if I'm wrong. And they said, who sinned? So the Jews thought everything had to be by sin. Did his parents sin or did he sin? Is he reaping the sins of the father's visage? And you know what Jesus said? He didn't answer them that way. He said, neither. Now, isn't that something? Jesus said, neither. He said, that the glory of God may be manifested. So he wasn't blaming it. Oh, it may have been true, either one of them, but he was saying the main principle was God's going to deal with him and show mercy. But they are always caught up and every sin was punished. And if it was, there wouldn't be no Pharisees. And they were self-righteous and they were adulterers and thieves and covetous. And look at the common people and say, oh, they're cursed because they don't know the law. Well, you could know what was waiting for them, huh? They were all in a great deception. And Jesus said, you cannot be saved. He told them, you will die in your sins because you don't believe in me. And why don't you believe in me? Because the sin in you keeps you from seeing the truth. And the Father hides the truth from you because you're wicked. And Jesus said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you hide these things. People don't have an understanding that God's hiding the truth and gospel from those who consistently resist him. You don't hear that today. Oh, he's the spirit, and he'll hound you for 50 years. That's a bunch of garbage. Paul said he'd want a heretic twice and he'd get rid of him. You don't have nothing to do with him. And he talked to the church when he instructed them. He said, if they don't want to accept this, he said, let them be ignorant. I mean, so it shows you what he thought about these things. And Peter, he told Jesus, he said, you know, you've offended the scribes and Pharisees. And he said, leave them alone. Blindly to blind, they both fall in the ditch. What did he say? Leave them alone. Don't mess with them. Don't argue with people like that. You're not to debate and argue with the seller. They used to ask me, trap me when I did construction work, try to trap me. 
Well, where did Cain's wife come from? See, they knew all those arguments. They wanted to find, because they knew there was that clear point of scripture. Yeah, I used to tell them, he come from a cabbage patch. Fool with them. They'll look at me. I wouldn't answer them. Now, if they were honestly inquiring about certain things, I'd tell them. I said, well, it's obvious. I said, Moses didn't write everything down. We'd have books and books and books and billions of them explaining everything that happened. He obviously married one of his sisters or one of his nieces. Remember, Adam, lived. he lived 930 years, Adam. And we don't know how many other children he had during that process. I said, so, and we know Abel and Cain was grown when he killed Abel. Years went by. And during that time, many girls were born. They weren't put that much into the old covenant. They weren't that important for the principles they wanted. So he doesn't mention them. You don't have two chapters naming every child that Adam had. He may have had 300 of them over 900 years. I said, well, anybody with common sense? So obviously, there wasn't another creation. So he had to have married his sister, his niece, or his grandniece. And that was permitted back then, the close relationship. And then God changed it for several reasons. So he was capable. Cornelius was, Paul was, of human good under God's various covenants. But he was not capable of perfection. And there's sin principle that he couldn't eradicate, and only God could do that. So when Adam and Eve ate the fruit, they became sinners. And it was in their system, and they transmitted it. And then they weren't in a position to be cleansed. Because a sinner cannot cleanse himself. He can't shape himself up. Only God can remove sin, and his holiness can deal with it. He has to judge it in some form. So he judged it in Christ, okay, for us, because we could not do it, okay? So Isaiah says what so many people quote, and that's beautiful. There's none that does righteousness, no, not one. But the greasy graces use that to license people to sin. Oh, it don't matter. We're going to sin anyway, so it's all grace. They deserve the hell they're going to. And Jesus would say, leave them alone. Let them believe their lies. They wanted the truth, and they read the Bible, and most of them are brilliant. And they've had at least a high school education. They could pick up some things, but eventually the Holy Spirit doesn't let them see things. Because their punishment is to deceive them. And the God of this world, Paul says, has blinded them lest they should see. So that's the consequences of sin. Okay? Brilliant people can't comprehend the Bible. Oh, they can put this together and that. But revelation comes from the Holy Spirit. And Paul prayed, he said, I pray that you be given all wisdom and understanding and the acknowledgement. He wasn't talking about their intellect alone. He said, you have to have the spirit of revelation. You can read all you want until that Holy Spirit lights you in spiritual things. You're just as dead as you ever were. And that's what, hap- that's what happens to lots of professing Christians. Okay. So the one sin of Adam and Eve made them sinners. That's it. And they could not make themselves holy again. They could not do anything and that's what God's trying to tell them. That's what the law's trying to tell you. No matter how good you are, and I'm glad you're trying to do good and you're doing it. He said, but I have to deal with sin. A holy God will not tolerate it. 
And so I judged it in Jesus on the cross and your place. So I can deal with you and forgive you. So that's what he's trying to tell us. An evil tree cannot produce good fruit. So no matter how good a person is, they got their evil principle at them. And even now, like I say, God will deal with people by the conscience if they haven't had the true gospel, and he'll accept certain things. But until the Spirit indwells us, the Spirit of Christ, we cannot bear real spiritual fruit because an evil tree cannot produce spiritual fruit. And if we walk in the Spirit, if we walk and we have the right not to, that's the will, he said, then a good tree cannot bring forth evil. So if you walk in the Spirit, you cannot be evil. But your will can decide to go back and walk in the flesh. And we're going to deal with that later. He's going to talk about what a Christian, how he's to handle these things and what he can do that he couldn't do under the law. Okay. So verse 22, he said, but I see a different law in the members of my body. Now he's talking about his humanity. That's where everything comes to the body, but his soul and his human spirit. He said, wage a war against the law of my mind. See, as a part of him, his will, that he wants to do good. Because that's made in an image of God, even though it's marred. He wants to do good. Not everybody, but there are those who want to do good. And it makes me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. I'm not free from it. Okay. I'm not free from it. So Paul agrees. Paul before Christ. I delight and God's laws and commandments. That was his M. That wasn't the M. What man of a Christian. That ain't what he's talking about. He tells you. He's still talking to the Jewish Christian, and some of them having a problem. They didn't know how to handle the law, and Christ, they thought, was, he's not going to do away with the law, and he's going to, he's telling them what's going to happen, and that certain principles stand. But he's going to do away with the rituals and ceremonies and all the other things. So he said, I delight in the law of these commands. So we find Paul did that. He said, but the soul of my reasoning, that's the soul of my reasoning. And he still has a will. So I'm made in God's image. So even though I'm flawed and imperfect, I still have a part of me that wants. And so that counterfeits the greasy graces. No person is born and lives totally depraved. Well, there's some of them that reach total depravity. They're possessed and they've been very wicked, but that's God's business, okay? So the conscience informs you sometimes that you can do good. The wicked people sometimes, for the wrong reason, oh, I've done such bad and I better do some good. So they volunteer and do, it makes the conscience. But the, the conscience is, if it's not enlightened, it can be flawed. It can only tell you certain things that you know or you said. So people think, oh, but they're deceiving themselves. That conscience will tell them to do good, but it doesn't tell them you can be perfect and you're still in sin. So see, they don't understand that part. Okay. So it tells you you're good. Under the law, you love your neighbor. Under the law, you keep the commandments of God. And sometimes willing or against it, you commit sin. And sin wins, and you fail, okay? Then you need sacrifice to cover sin until God brings forth Christ. Two things. The law, again, 
The sacrifice covered sin, did not remove it, and it could not empower the sinner to live above his own nature. He couldn't do that. Under the new, the Lord not only cleanses the sin, Hebrews says he cleanses our conscience, he renews our conscience by the blood of Christ, and then he enters us as the great helper that we can walk in the spirit and not follow the flesh. The law could not do that. Okay. So he accepted them and winked at certain things under the other covenants. And he punished them when necessary. And he punished disciples at times. We'll see how he does under the law of Christ. Even Hebrews says, the chastening of the Lord is not pleasant, it's grievous. But he's telling us why. Simply saying, if you start falling into sin, and pride, he said, Lord's going to first try to correct you. And if that don't work, if you don't judge yourself, Paul says, you'll be judged of the Lord. And he won't play around with it. He won't pamper you. And he said, it's grievous. It's painful. He said, nevertheless, it means to the one that listens to it. That's why he said, don't despise the chase of the Lord. Because you can be cut off. If you rebel against him enough, he gets tired. He don't have any bastards. You're going to be disciplined and you're going to conform to some degree. Well, you're not going to be his law. He says, and after you've been trained by it and punished and dealt with, you'll stop your setting. And when you stop your setting, you'll walk in the Lord again and you'll have righteousness. You'll be walking in the kingdom. The kingdom of God, the spirit of the Lord, is righteousness, peace, and joy. That's what he calls it. So Christians say they can't be righteous. They're not going. I say, well, you're not going to make it to heaven because the scripture says you can. Says, that's where we want to see your spiritual works. Oh, that's why the greasy gracer and the once saved, always saved person, oh, it's got to be grace and faith alone because they are living in their sins still. And they don't believe in the power of Christ to keep a person or empower them over sin. See, they're hoping it covers them, but it's not going to. See, and we'll explain that later also, where Christ can do that. So the person that the Lord trains, he beats and punishes in whatever way he does it. It says that they'll be partakers of righteousness. They have to repent. They have to deal with it. They have to stop it. And then he says, for without holiness, no man will see God. He's talking about practical holiness. He's not talking about your holiness in Christ and your position in Christ. Well, that's all good if it's working. But if it ain't working, you can claim all your positions in Christ you want. I've heard him tell me, I'm seated with Christ in heavenly places. I said, you're a liar. You're committing fornication and you're committing adultery and it's a lifestyle. I said, you're a child of the devil. Well, I make them mad. Of course I did. They don't want to talk to me no more. They got to go find a false shepherd to tell them they're saved anyway. So we'll leave them alone. Leave them alone. That's what the Lord says. Okay. So until Christ comes and breaks the power of sin and death, he does not annihilate its power. The devil's still around. The old man is still in the members, and we subdue him. And Paul later and we've read some scripture already. He said, we are groaning. Talk about the Christian. He said, we want the new coming in us, the immortality. He said, we're groaning to be released. From what? 
that old man, that, that sin principle can still tempt us, and the devil can. And that's why Paul says you put on the armor of Christ and you resist him. James says, resist the devil. Submit to God, he says first. And resist the devil and he'll leave you. But notice he said you have to submit to God. You can't do it in your own strength. But the Holy Spirit, Spirit of Christ in you will come alongside and he'll give you the ability and the power to do it. But your will has to consent to it. And that's why all of the New Testament is always appealing to the mind and will of a Christian, appealing to their will. Do this, don't do that. They're responsible. And so that's what he's saying. So submit to God. Come to the throne of grace, he says, and you shall obtain mercy. That strength, grace produces strength. He said that you can resist temptation and you can endure the things that come on your life. But only if you submit to God. But then you have to use it. You have to allow the Spirit. And if you don't, all the gifts of the Spirit are with the consent of the believer. The only one we can clearly say that God will do it just because of the presence of the Christian is the working of miracles. Sometimes it was like Jesus. People got healed by just touching his garment. And he turned around and said, who, who touched me? You see, she drew out by faith, and it implies that Jesus didn't know who it was. He didn't. He was a human. And he was bumping up all these people. But she exercised the proper faith, and God honored it. So God can work a miracle sometime because of the presence. But every other supernatural gift has to have the consent of the believer. If you prophesy, it says the spirit of prophets are subject to prophets. So when the spirit moves on them, he doesn't overwhelm them. A lot of people think they're overwhelmed and they jump up and start speaking. I said, no, he tells them to do it orderly. And he tells them to be quiet and pray to yourself if it's not something from God. And so we need to understand that they are held responsible till the day you die. You're responsible for what Christ is, and you're responsible if you keep drawing fruit and life from him or if you decide you're not going to. Let's close. Lord, give us wisdom and understanding. Give us practical knowledge that we can see. In Jesus' name, amen.